Good morning, everyone. A very special welcome back to our City Builders online service. It's great to have you with us once again. God's heart is to bless the nations, and his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, is very powerful to Abram in that time who became Abraham, and it was uh, appropriate to the generations that followed him. But today we are the beneficiaries of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Let me read this morning. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out from your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It is God's intention to bless the nations. That promise that God made to Abram back there thousands of years ago still stands today. We need to know that God is a good God and he is also a God that wants to bless the nations. He is a God of blessing. And he is also able to restore and rebuild what has been broken. We often talk about how these stables were old and broken down. And, uh, you know, they came into our hands a few years ago and we were able to renovate these stables so that they look probably more beautiful than they were in the heyday. And, you know, this is what God does to us individually and it's what God wants to do, you know, in communities and in the nation. There are a couple of verses that I would like to uh, commence with this morning. Firstly, this one is from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. And it says, There is a sound of noise from the city, and there is a voice from the temple. The voice of the Lord says, who fully repays his enemies, Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has heard such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? This is talking about the possibilities of what God can do when it's time for him to move. And uh, a verse I also read last week from Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. And I really believe that as I read this scripture, it speaks to me, it speaks to us, and it speaks to the church and the nations that God is going to do something incredible. In fact, I really believe that right now God is ushering in a new era. We talk about a global reset and, uh, you know, we'll watch how, uh, you know, things unfold there. But all I know this is that God is bringing his people into an incredible new era. And this is an era of blessing for the church. God wants to bless his people so that we can be a blessing to the nations. Let's pray together this morning as we move into this message. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning. And we know, Lord God, that you are here. Father, this morning, we turn our hearts to you and we open our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding this morning so that we can not only see but participate 
in your incredible plan for the nations. Father, I pray that we would not be detached from what you are doing. Lord God, bring us onto the cutting edge of what you are doing in, in this church, in the city, in the region, in the nations. Father, we pray, open the eyes of our hearts this morning in the incredible name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the last few weeks, you know, we've uh, announced our theme for the next year, and it's about God's master plan for the transformation of nations. This I do know, that right from the start, when you look back in the uh, scriptures from Genesis chapter 1, right through to the book of Revelations, it is a prophetic picture of what God is doing. And somewhere we fit in historically into an incredible plan of what God is doing in the nations. God has a plan for the nations. God has a purpose. And his purpose is not just confined to one generation and what God is doing in my life, but God's plan is an eternal plan. And all things are working together for the good, for the kingdom, for the plans that God has. So uh, the particular message that I'm talking about this morning is very important. It's called the process of discipleship. I've recently shared that the appearance of Jesus on the earth 2,000 years ago was a winning move in the struggle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The appearance of Jesus was God's winning move in his master plan for the restoration and the transformation of the nations. A couple of thoughts as we open according to the scripture. Firstly, according to John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. You know, if you look around our world, we live in a world that has fallen, where sin has, has uh, run its cycle to a degree, and we see the work of the evil one. We see that people are separated from God, people are confused, people are wandering, not everyone, but this is often the case, and people are lost. And we see the works of the evil one. What is the works of the evil one? It, it comes out of the kingdom of darkness that the evil one has established on the earth. So you can look and you can see broken marriages. Broken marriages and broken families are a work of the evil one. If you see depression, if you see oppression, if we see all kinds of sickness, if we see poverty, this is the work of the evil one. Even if we see religion, which can come in the form of counterfeit Christianity, this is the work of the evil one. But this morning, I want to reassure you that nothing has changed, that according to the scripture, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he came to destroy the works of the evil one. In Acts chapter 10 verse 38, it talks about how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. In other words, wherever Jesus went, if he came across the lepers, they were healed. If he came across the hungry, they were fed. You know, he, uh, he fed the multitudes. It's his nature to provide. It is his nature to do good things. And, and all through history, while we have lived in 
different dispensations and under different covenants that need to be understood, God is a good God. And today, if Jesus came into the earth, do you know what he would do? Uh, he would do good and he would heal all who were oppressed of the devil. And do you know what? We have a part to play in that, in this generation that we live in. Thirdly, Jesus was totally and absolutely successful in his earth mission. In other words, Jesus came into the earth. He was God in the flesh. He was God manifested in the flesh. And according to the Bible, that in him dwelt the fullness of Godhead bodily. In other words, when people laid their eyes on Jesus, they were seeing an absolute and complete manifestation of God on the earth. In fact, Jesus made statements that confronted the religious status quo of the day by saying things like, if you, have seen the, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. He said that, uh, you know, he actually prayed for his disciples that they would become one, just he and his Father and the Holy Spirit were one. So according to the Scriptures... He won the battle against the kingdom of darkness. And it says in Colossians chapter 2.15, remembering that Jesus came into the work to destroy the works of the evil one, it says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 that he made an open display of the principalities and powers triumphing over them in it. If you want to know what I mean about principalities and powers, it would be really good to refer back to my message of two weeks ago, which talks about what happened to Lucifer, what happened to the principalities and powers when sin came into the heavens, when pride rose up in the heart of Lucifer and, and he was evicted from the heavens to the earth realm. The appearance of Jesus on the earth is the most powerful and most obvious manifestation of the kingdom of God in history. And all the signposts point to an event, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the sinless walk of Christ, the healings of Christ. You know how Jesus went about doing good, healing all who are oppressed of the devil. And today is the year 2020. It's got a nice little ring about it, 2020, but what a year it's been. But 2,000 years ago, you know, uh, the calendar was split in two, BC, AD. And we are 20, 20 years since the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. Do you know what? You cannot deny the actual historical reality of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now around the globe and through politics and through different philosophies uh, that have come into the education system, the political system and the social system, there is like an effort to eradicate and to change history. But do you know what? The word history is his story. Isn't that amazing? Who is the his that we are talking about? It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Isn't this amazing? You know, we are not following an illusion. We are not following something mystical. But we are following a man. And that man was God in the flesh. 
And today, his spirit has been shed abroad into the hearts of men and women. And the Bible says that now that we are witnesses, do you know what? You could not change my mind about what I've experienced because I have found God in my life and I've found him to be real. And I'm here today to tell part of his story. Amen. The appearance of Jesus was a supernatural intervention on the earth. It was a divine invasion of the truth into, an, uh, into what had become a religious, closed and hard culture. It's not what people think is truth, uh, truth is now. You know, uh, we've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, about how we really need to rediscover truth. And to rediscover truth, we need the spirit of truth. And when Jesus, you know, before he left the earth, he said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to pray and he is going to send you the spirit of truth. And he is going to lead you and he's going to guide you into all truth. You know, in an age that has traded truth for comfort and convenience and trends, I want you to know this morning that the spirit of truth is available to you. He is in this church and he's in the hearts of every believer who is genuinely wanting to follow him. Amen? So what sort of person are you this morning? Are you one who's going to settle for comfort and convenience and status quo and the trends of the day? Or are you going to turn around and say, I am going to find who this Jesus is. I'm going to get to know this Jesus. I'm going to follow him from this day forward. If, you, if that is you, then you have tuned into the right station this morning. So the appearance of Jesus was a supernatural in intervention on the earth. And I love it when I read back through history and read back through, uh, you know, through the scriptures and through the, uh, the history books. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I'm thinking of books like God's Generals that have been written by uh, Robert's Lead and that tells the stories about how even in this last hundred years, God raised up real men and women who were just no ordinary men and women. They were like revivalists and they opened up the spiritual wells in nations. Uh, this is really incredible. Uh, one of them, of course, is Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, who, who came into this part of Australia, not exactly this part, but in Melbourne. And there were just incredible records of whole communities and suburbs turning around and coming to Christ. There is the record of John Alexander Dowie, who started out as a congregational minister, I believe from South Australia, and had his first pastorate in Melbourne. But, you know, went off to America and became part of the healing movement there. And this man became one of God's generals. You know, it is amazing when a man or a woman begins to realize what is possible in God, how things can begin to turn around, how we can learn to operate under an open heaven, and we can become like those men and those women. So, you know, we just don't want to sit around and, and you know, just be, well, um, you know, accept the status quo of the day. We want to be, we desire passionately to be God's answer to this generation. So you see, the appearance of Jesus was a supernatural intervention that happened 2,000 years ago. 
he was a divine invasion of the truth. Now, I'll tell you what our society needs right now, and I believe it is about ready to happen, that there is going to be a divine invasion of the truth. Not the people, not what the people think the truth is now, but the absolute truth, the higher truth that has the capacity to set men, men and women free. You know, one of my favourite ever scriptures is, is in John chapter 8, and it talks about if, how if we know the Son, then we'll know the truth. And if we know the truth, I'm not talking about the truth as people understand it today, you know, your truth, my truth, that is just nonsense. There is the truth, there is His truth, there is the truth that God set in motion, and that is the truth that will set any oppressed person free. Amen? I tell you what, people say you can't change. I'm here today to say that is a lie. That is not the truth. God can turn your life around. You know, he can take a person from poverty and he can put a new heart and a new mind on the inside of them and he can set them on the pathway, you know, to being wealthy. He can do this. You know, God can do what he wants to do. Hey, let me tell you this. I don't want to disappoint you this morning, but you are not God. Amen? And I am not God. And I tell you what, the government is not God. God is God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And his name is the name above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, the Bible says, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of our God and Father. And everybody said, that is a great thing to say to a statement like that. Now, this is incredible news. You know, to people that are disappointed, that are frustrated, that are damaged, that are broken down in whatever way. This is great news. Jesus came into the earth to break the power of bad news. You know, and the gospel, the gospel, the word gospel actually means good news. So this morning, it is my honor, you know, to stand in this pulpit and to bring this word, which is the gospel. It is good news to this generation. You know, I see what's going on around the world. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a, a tuned in, perceptive type of person. I know what's going on. I can see what's going on and so can you. And you can tune in the news and it's bad news. And a lot of it is fake news. Do you know what fake news? Fake news is a bit of the truth taken, a bit of what people want you to believe. It's mixed together and it's packaged to you in a way that it will find its place in your mind and your heart. And there's a spiritual energy behind it that you need to be very careful of. I'm not suggesting that we tune out, but I do have been saying over these last weeks, how very important it is to rediscover truth, how very important it is to have a working relationship with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised it. He promised it to his disciples then. He said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you a helper. And his name is the Spirit of Truth. And he is going to lead you into all truth. Amen. And that's a promise to the church today. So this is great news, I believe. Now, we're talking about God's master plan for, for the transformation of the nations. God has always had a plan. And I want you to know, despite what you are seeing in the nations, 
Nothing is going wrong outside of God's plans. God is not up in the heavens looking down and think, my goodness, they're out of control down there. Well, he might be thinking that, but I tell you this, they are not outside of his control. Jesus rules from the heavens. Back in Psalm chapter 2, you know, it says that that the Lord sits in the heavens and you know what he's doing? When he sees all these things that are happening on the earth, it says he laughs. He's laughing because he knows that his eternal plan, his purpose is coming to pass. His eternal plans, you know, everything for, you know, the scripture says that all things are going to work out for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So do you know the best place you can be today is right connected with God? You know, one heart, one mind connected to God. You know, following him full on. This is the safest place to be. Why? Because God has got a master plan for the transformation of nations. Now, Jesus prepared for, during his earth walk, and laid out his succession plan, which is a major, major, indispensable part of God's master plan for the transformation of nations. I want to make that statement again. Jesus prepared for, the, uh, for and laid out his succession plan, which is a major, major, indispensable... Now, I want you to remember that word, and even now, wherever you are, if you could repeat that word after me. Indispensable. Part of God's master plan for the nations. Now, this is what Jesus did. Jesus came into the earth... 2,000 years ago, he was a manifestation of God on the earth. The scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this is where it all started. God became flesh. You know, I read last week about, out of John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us this is radical stuff this is God supernaturally intervening in the affairs of men and women so this is an indispensable part of God's master plan for the transformation of nations and I'm talking today about the process of discipleship now this is what Jesus did firstly he chose 12 He chose 12. And uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, going right back to the first book of the Bible, which is the account of creation and uh, the creation of man and God's plan for man. And here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, God uh, has a conversation with himself, if you like. God is not multi-personality or anything like that. He is Father, Son, and the Spirit. And Jesus said when he came into the earth that the, uh, the word said about him that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him. Now Jesus said, let us make man in our own image. Male and female he made them. This is the creation. Now God made man. And the concept that I really want you to remember this morning is that if we enter into the process of discipleship, God will once again restore us. 
He will once again deliver us. He will once again rebuild us and he will take us into an incredible destiny. In the beginning, God made, uh, God made the heavens and the earth. And then in Genesis 1.26, he says, let us make man in our own image. Now, out of all the creatures on the earth, there's something different about man. And when I talk man, I'm talking in scriptural terms, and it says male and female, he made them. Now, let me tell you, male does not rule over female. We are called to be together. We are called to be part of God's creation together. We are called to partner together. This is how God made us. Now, in Mark chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, Jesus is walking along and he comes to the, the first disciples and he says to them something very, uh, very interesting. It's an invitation. And I often think of this. What would this be like if I was walking down the street and I made this statement? He said to the disciples, those that became his disciples, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, these men were fishermen. They were tending their nets. And Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is an invitation into the life of discipleship to prepare those men to be the ones that would carry succession, carry legacy, and in some supernatural and incredible way, participate in God's master plan to transform the nations. God's plan is discipleship. And discipleship is a process that God uses. And I just want to begin to unpack that as we move through this message and over the next couple of weeks. Now, listen to me. Whenever people make a genuine choice today, something will begin to change in their life something will begin to change in their life. I remember when that night happened to me. It was sort of like a progressive thing. You know, I was touched by God. Uh, you know, before we were married, I, I had an experience in my church. I went off to study for the priesthood. I didn't find that that worked the best for me. Uh, I thank God that he had an alternative for me, which involved marriage and children and what I'm doing now. But then on our honeymoon, we made another step, both Lynn and myself together. 41 and a half years ago, on our honeymoon at a Billy Graham crusade, we received the Lord into our life. And it was like God brought us another step. And, you know, then we began to gradually, gradually commit deeper and deeper to the Lord. I remember in those days because I wanted to follow Jesus, but I had other things going on in my mind. I wanted to follow him, but I wanted to do other things. I wanted to discover how real God was. I believe there was more, but boy, there were some other great things going on over here. And I got involved in all sorts of projects. Do you know what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes? God has set eternity in the heart of man, but man has gone in search of many schemes. And that describes mankind. And when I talk about mankind, I'm talking about man and woman together. God set eternity in the heart of men and women, but they've gone in search of many schemes. Do you know what? When God looks in the heavens, it's like he, from the heavens, he, he must shake his voice and thinking, what are, these, what are these guys doing down there? And, uh, you know, of course he knows. 
but I'm just quoting out of that book of Psalms. You know how we've gone our own way, we've walked away, but there was this struggle going on the inside of me. But I remember one night, you know, there is that one night, there is that one day, there is that one time in your life where the pennies began to drop on the inside and you go, my God, this is real. I am going to follow this God wholeheartedly for the rest of my days. Now, I want to give you the definition of discipleship in a nutshell. It is simply this. It is to follow Christ wholeheartedly for the rest of your life. That is what it means to be a disciple. Becoming a disciple is a decision. It's a step that you make. It is a process and it's a journey. And God wants us forever to be involved in that process of, uh, of uh, you know, finding our destiny. You know, just today I, I met up with one of the young men in our church and he said to me, I've made a decision. I'm really going to follow God. And he said, I'm really going to, you know, I mentioned to this young man, I want to mentor you a couple of weeks ago. And I just left it there. And he come to me and he said, I've thought about that every day. He said, I want you to mentor me. And it's like in his heart, he made a quality decision. Do you know what we've got to do to really find how real God is? We've got to make a quality decision to leave the status quo, to leave you know, the way that we've lived our life and to begin to follow God, to become a wholehearted, passionate follower of Christ. It's, it's like living out of a radical abandon for Jesus. You know, day by day, and, it, and it's an incredible journey, and I've been living that journey for, uh, you know, for all our married life, along with my amazing wife, Lynn. And after this, you know, after 41 years of marriage, I just think, man, this is the most amazing adventure. I am not bored. You know, most people my age are retired, travelling around the country uh, with the grey nomads, you know, and, uh, you know, sipping lattes and God bless them, but I'm not interested in that because I'll tell you what, me and a few others are going to change this nation in the name of the Lord. Amen? Yeah, I'll tell you what, Jesus did it with 12. And, you know, wherever you've got a, you know, a, a, a real leader who's going to stand for God and stand for what's right, and he's got a few good men and a few good women on his team, we can see whole cities turn around. We can see whole regions turn around. We can see the nation turn around. Now, I'll just give you a little bit of a disclaimer there, uh, because I'm not the only one. There are many like me right across this nation who are radically given over to the Lord Jesus Christ, who want to see truth emerge in, in uh, every domain. You know, we want to see the spirit of truth released in great power. In John chapter 16, as I mentioned before, Jesus gave a promise, you know, because his disciples had become very attached to him. But he had to leave. He said, I've got to go away because if I don't go away, you won't receive the helper. In other words, God had a better plan for those followers than just walking with Jesus on the earth. Imagine that. So he says, I'm going to send you the helper, the advocate, and, and he's going to take you to another level. This is really the essence. So he promised them the Holy Spirit. Next thing, he mandated them. Jesus mandated these ones. 
You know, he broke bread with them before he went to the cross. Uh, you know, and the, and the breaking of the bread and the, sh- and the, and the wine is so symbolic. It is, it's like, the, you know, we call it Holy Communion. And it's an institution that remembers the quality of the relationship between Jesus and those disciples. You know, this is the next level of relationship that God wants to take us into, where we would really learn to love one another the way that Christ loved those disciples, you know, and, la- and laid his life down for them. That is the standard that God wants to bring us to. You know, when we really begin to love one another like that, it says in the Scriptures, the world will really know that you are my disciples. It's one of the main ways that you know. You know, churches can be funny old things. I remember, you know, being brought up in a very traditional church and, uh, you know, we used to say church in Latin back in those days, so we never had a clue what was going on. It's a bit like going to a Pentecostal church where they pray in tongues. Only joking, okay? But it was like that. And uh, I remember they made a radical move forward and they introduced what was called the sign of peace. And it was very interesting watching. And it's very telling because when that first started to happen, I heard things like this. I'm not going to shake hands with that person, that old hypocrite there from down the road. You know, this was the sort of thing that was going on. In other words, it was not really deeply felt transformational Christianity. But when God really touches you on the inside of the heart, I'll tell you how you know. You have a capacity to love people that you never had before. You have a capacity to forgive people like you never had before. You have a capacity to get over your own offense like never before. And uh, this is a wonderful journey that God is taking us on. But anyway, Jesus broke bread with the 12. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, there is a mandate. You know, sometimes we can, uh, we can in church get so, you know, well, you know, people love one another and that's nice. But then it goes to a whole next level where Jesus, you know, after he's gone to the, the, the cross and now he is, he's risen from the dead, his disciples have encountered him. Now they tell me that there were 500 people that sighted Jesus after he was crucified and risen from the dead. This is living proof that Jesus is risen from the dead. I tell you, this is no ordinary religion. And Christianity is no, not for ordinary people. Well, you know, we're ordinary when we enter into it, but God is going to take us and he's going to make us. He says, come, follow me, I'll make you. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You know, and uh, that's not necessarily a literal fisherman, but this is being able to reach people. This is able, uh, able to bring in the harvest that, that is out there for us. So Jesus, one, he chooses the 12. He walks with them. He, he, he relates to them. He, he teaches them the principle of the kingdom. And, you know, he clearly demonstrates to them that he is God. And in amongst all this, they go, what are we going to do when you go away? And he says, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. But then he mandated them. It says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. This is is known as the Great Commission and is very powerful. Because do you know what it does? This is a very, very critical, major, major 
indispensable part of God's master plan for the transformation of nations. Jesus handed down the mandate to what was to become the church in the generations to follow. Jesus says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It was given to him by his heavenly father. And now he says to the disciples, he is mandating them and he is taking that authority that has been given to him and he's saying, I'm transferring it to you. This is my, um, you know, my emphasis here. And the words say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey that I've commanded you and I'm always with you even to the end of the age. You know, to me, this is the heartbeat of the assignment of the church. You know, what you could do is you could cut this page out of the Bible. I don't suggest you do that. Maybe photocopy it and put it on the mirror because it is your daily assignment. And, you know, we belong to the City Builders Church, which is a community of faith in Gippsland, Victoria. But wherever people are in the church, in the nations this morning, this is a word from heaven to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I really believe this is one of the tallest orders you could give men, especially a handful of them, only 12 of them, to go into the world and to disciple the nations. He is asking something that is utterly impossible. But going back a little way, Jesus had perfectly laid the pattern and the foundation for global transformation. He really did. God, on the day of Pentecost, followed through with his promise and the spirit of truth, the helper, the Holy Ghost, the spirit of Christ was released into the church and they spoke with tongues. Tongues of fire came upon them. There was a mighty rushing wind. You know, God is going to really empower his church in these days. I tell you what, I sense a fresh empowerment coming on the church. This was an empowerment from on high for the church to fulfill our assignment because this is impossible unless we are empowered with the same Holy Spirit that those original disciples were. The discipleship of nations, of the nations, is God's master plan. The end game of discipleship is not just believers. So we just need to talk about the end game. Because the end is never the end, but the beginning. You know, it's like everything in God is never the end, but it's the beginning of something new. You know, when, uh, when, uh, you know often when young people do get married, everything is looking forward to that day when they marry. But, you know, that's not the end. That's the beginning. 
And then, uh, you know, when you're married and in your married life and you're getting older, and eventually you come to the end of your life, you think, well, that's the end. But no, it's not. With Christ, it is the beginning. And I want you to know this morning that this is the most powerful God factor that is released into every individual that you have not come to the end, you have come to the, a new beginning. In fact, I really believe that the church in the nations, those that are well prepared and those that have really been, you know, true disciples of Christ are about ready to enter in to an incredibly new era. So the end game of discipleship is not just believers and not just disciples alone. But A, it is the transformation of an individual life. You know, when a person comes to Christ, really comes to Christ, it is the beginning of transformation. I know the time where just God turned me around. You know, it was like I'd been reaching out, exploring, looking, delving, you know, um, arguing with people, contending. And then it was like God gave me all the pieces. And I remember there was a little season there where it was like God pursued me. And it was like the same God, you know, in the form of Jesus who said to those disciples, come follow me and I'll make you. He started to say to me, come follow me. And I remember there was a time where, uh, in, in, and I've spoken about in this church, in the church in Albury where I encountered God in such an unreal, <laughs> amazing way. And I said, I'm going to follow this Jesus for the rest of my, my days. Now, I tell you what I'm doing today. I'm, I'm continuing on in the decision that I made 40 years ago. And this is what God wants us to do. Because every time somebody makes a decision like that, every day is the beginning of something new. I've been through some incredible uh, seasons, great seasons, where God's really added to me. And I've lived in times where things have been taken away. I've been through grief and disappointment. I've made mistakes. I've said things that if I had my time over, I would say them differently. You know, this is life. And let's face it, if you've never made a mistake, then you've never really made anything. But we are living under the grace of Almighty God who has transformed us. And according to the scripture, he has translated us. In the book of Colossians, it says that he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness and he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, which is the kingdom of light. Do you know, translated is like something that happens so quick. It's not like relocated, it's translocated. It's a moment in time where in the inside of your heart, you go, I am going to live for God. I'm going to live for God. And there is a translation that happens. It is like you were speaking Chinese and now you're speaking English. It is though you were poor and you are all of a sudden endowed with heaven's wealth. It is like you are blind, but now you can see. This is what translation means. And this is part of the process that God brings us through, the process of discipleship 
on the road to transformation. Because the end game of discipleship is not just more disciples in church. No, it's not that. It's great to have more. I love it when there's a crowd. I remember the opening night of this building, you know, it was just people sitting down on the floor here, all the chairs were full, and there was such an incredible atmosphere, and the worship was, whoa, it was something else. You know, I just remember that night, and I hold it in my memory, because that will become every day in this building, in the days ahead. But, you know, it's just the beginning, and God wants to take us there. So the end game of discipleship is the transformation of an individual's life. See, discipleship is me walking with you and you walking with me and us walking with God. And that is the pathway to transformation in an individual's life. It never stops. Going back about three weeks ago, I spoke on the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. If you've got time, go back and have a listen to it. Because the moment you make a decision to really follow, God never stops working on you. He never stops working on your marriage. He never stops working on your thinking. He never stops working on your inward man. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, even though the outward man is perishing. Now let me tell you, I'm doing pretty good for a guy my age. I have a few aches and pains I didn't have. Reality, we're getting older. Reality, our outward man is just not going to look as good in 10 years as what it does now, unless you're probably 14. <laughs> this is the reality, but God's working on the inside. And the scripture says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will continue it, complete it in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is not stopping. But the key is staying in the process, understanding the process, knowing the difference between what is a true disciple and what is an ordinary believer. Do you know what? Ordinary believers are a dime a dozen because people were born to believe. Everybody believes in something. Amen? But God has called us to a different living. The end game of discipleship is not just believers and it's not just disciples, but it is the transformation of an individual life. Don't give up. Get into the process and stay there and keep going. And it, I tell you, one soul can make a difference. One man, one woman. You know, I mentioned John Alexander Dowie. I mentioned uh, Smith Wigglesworth. I, when I was in America years ago, I went to the home of uh, Amy Semple McPherson, who followed her husband to China as a missionary and, and you know, basically burnt their bridges. But still on their honeymoon, her husband passed away in China. And she returned to America to carry out service with the Lord and became one of God's generals, a widow. You know, what is possible when we really realize the potential of what God wants to do? Number one, the transformation of an individual's life. And uh, number two, the transformation of nations. 
Because God has a master plan for the transformation of nations. This is going to be important for us. You know, this is important because there are heaps of believers, but God wants us to find that space where we are going to participate in God's eternal purposes on the earth. You know, God has an eternal purpose for the heavens, for the earth, for you, for me. Amen? So God is the end, the end game of discipleship is the transformation of nations. Jesus said to the disciples, go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of the nations. You know, quite often, and I really believe this has been the post-war era of the church, that we have looked after our own church, our own programs, but we have not got involved in the discipleship of the nations. We've been building church. But Jesus said, I will build my church. You go and make disciples. Amen. So discipleship must become uh, very much the energy of the future. God is into the transformation of nations. In fact, it says in the book of Acts that heaven will retain Jesus until the restoration of all things. In other words, until the church work that began on the day of Pentecost is completed. Amen. And every nation will hear the glorious gospel, the good news. God is into the transformation of nations. Isaiah 59 verse 1. It says, Behold, the, hand, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. You know, at times I've met people and I think, gosh, they could never come to God. They were so tough or, you know, so confident in themselves or so lost. But over my 40 years, I've seen God reach out of heaven and like put his thumb on people and draw them right to where he wants them to be. And there's plenty of people in our church just like that. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So, moving on, God has a special way of gathering people. He is already at work in them. Do you notice how Jesus came along and he said, come follow me, he said this to these fishermen, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Oh, this would be you know, quite crazy walking down the street and you see some dude there and you go, come follow me and I'm just going to make you the best, you know. And they'd sort of go, wouldn't they? But this is what Jesus did. He says, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the verse, the next verse, you know, in Matthew 1.18, it says, immediately they left their nets. God has a special way of gathering people and he has a pathway. When I discover the path, I can lead someone else in it. Do you know what? We need to buy in to the process of discipleship. There's a pathway. And when I discover the path, I can lead someone else in it. Do you know, one of the problems I see with discipleship is the blind trying to lead the blind. But we need to find people in our life who have already demonstrated a pathway. So number one, there's a pathway. Number two, there's a people. There's always a people. You know, uh, this is the church. 
And the job of the church is to be the, the seedbed of discipleship. This is where it all happens. There is a people. I still remember when I found Christ in the early days. I found myself going to a church in Eagle Hawk Road in Bendigo. I really loved that place. I was baptised there. Uh, the, the, uh, the pastor who baptised me that day, he spoke prophetically about the exact days I'm living in. Incredible. You know, God's always prepared a people. And these are the people, you know, I remember those days when I got involved in a home church and I became very good friends with those people in those home church. Forty years later, I still remember them, I still think of them and I still contact many of them. There's always a people. You know, the quality of relationships in a healthy church are next level. There is always a pattern. And Jesus is the pattern. He is the pattern. He is our pattern leader. And he set the pattern in the 12. And we are to follow the pattern. You know, don't go and try and create a new pattern. It's already there. It's already established and functioning in the house. And there is a process. And this I have come to know that God is a God of process. Now, I just wanted uh, to talk about this. If you look at Christendom, and if you look at churches, there are different groups of people. Number one, there are ordinary believers. All around the world, there are people who say they believe. God bless them. I'm not against them. But often they are caught up in the affairs of the world. They have deprioritized the kingdom of God. There is a struggle of kingdoms going on on the inside. They have received Christ at some stage, but there may be and most likely are barriers to forward momentum that keep them static. Now, how, how do I know this? I've been there. I spent years of my life there. They are often stuck. This is what you call nominal Christianity. And research shows that this is the majority of Christendom. Christendom. Jesus left many like this behind. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. At one stage, a young man came to, him, came to him and wanted to follow him and Jesus said, come follow me. He said, I've got to go and I've got to bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. He identified his barrier. That young man couldn't follow him. On another occasion, there was a young man came and said to him, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, sure, sell all that you have and come follow me. And that man went away with sadness in his heart because he had much. Do you see, these two men were like many of us. There are barriers that we have. We often didn't put the barriers there. They were put there. But God has given us the power of choice. You see, Jesus left them and moved on. Jesus is not called to follow them and to go back after them. But he's going this way towards destiny because he is serving the eternal purposes set by his Father. Come follow me. I've got destiny in my heart and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus left many of them behind. I really believe this is an important time in life because many may be left behind. 
It says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, why many will say on that day and call me Lord, Lord. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you're not doing what I ask you to do? Ordinary believers have not faced or overcome their barriers, their cultural baggage that keeps them living in the realm of ordinary. The biggest problem with nominal Christianity is there's no contrast, there is no difference, and there is no power. And Jesus did not like this because it's a religious spirit. And the scripture talks about having a form of godliness but denying its power. But the kingdom of God is power. Amen. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he said, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual uh, people, but I had to speak to you as immature. You see, God wants us to leave the realm of ordinary believership. In America now, the, uh, uh, this, the uh, research shows that far, far more than 50% of the nation believe in Christ. But the nation is a disaster. Why? Because people have settled for the status quo, they've settled for the ordinary. The next group of people is disciples. They, are re they have recognised that there is another level to be attained. It is recognising destiny and it is the choice to follow. Jesus came along and he said, come follow me. And immediately they left their nets. Do you know what? They knew who they were following. They knew that this was a man sent by God. They'd listened to what the prophets had said. There was an expectation building in their heart. And in these days, destiny is going to call people and it's going to ask them to make a choice to follow. Disciples have made a wholehearted decision, I'm going to follow this Christ. Disciples are always involved in the lives of other people. Relationship is the platform for effective discipleship. You know, you just don't have a baby and, and uh, you know, get it through at six months and then leave it somewhere. It's like a relationship because God gave you that baby. And I really believe this describes the heart of discipleship. That relationship in a discipleship context is a permanent relationship. I love my pastors that I had in the past and I treat those relationships even now very, very honourably and I prioritise them because they invested into my life when I was immature. Disciples are able to find people who are going to lead them into the next level. I've always done that. Right now, even in my early 60s, I'm being discipled and coached, mentored and spiritually fathered. We all need it, whether we know it or not. Disciples are looking for leadership. You know, they came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. Show us, Lord. It was a teachable heart. You know, and, and we need to be able to say, this is the way, walk we in it. They have learned to say yes in spite of their limitations. This is how we handle cultural baggage, setbacks, problems, wrong thinking, depression, oppression, sickness and lack. 
we say yes in spite of our limitations. Disciples are learning to live out of a radical abandon because they are wholehearted followers of Jesus and they are working out that. They are working that out in their locality. Amen? There is something different about true disciples. Somebody said once, which I reckon is a great statement that uh, you know, I've been using it for years, so many would have heard. Believers can go to heaven, but disciples will bring heaven to earth. There's a big difference. Disciples are learning to live out of radical abandon. They are wholehearted followers of Jesus. And they are working that out in their locality. They are learning to take responsibility for their lives and becoming fruitful. Do you know what? How will you know them? How will you know a true disciple? By the fruit. I got tested on this a little while ago. Because a little while ago I was just on the way to work. Going to work, minding my own business. And then all of a sudden somebody drove over in front of me. Bang! Little dent on my car, a little, a bigger dent on her car. And, uh, you know, I was in the right. But do you know what? God worked in me. I instantly, I chose to look after that young lady's well-being when I got out of the car. And the Lord kept speaking to me about it. And I, uh, I contacted her a while ago and I said, look, uh, just forget it. Happy Christmas and God bless you. I really feel to, you know, to release you from that. And, uh, you know, she said, are you sure? And I said, I am sure. God bless you. You know, I believe that God just wants to bring us to the next level. He, he has so much more. You know, he can sort out a little dent in a car because he is God. True disciples bear the fruit of discipleship according to galatians chapter 5 verse 22 this is how you know if someone is filled with the holy spirit they speak in tongues well actually no love joy peace long suffering all the rest of it this is how you know you know this is the fruit of discipleship discipleship has fruit it has the fruit of the spirit and ultimately, discipleship cannot help but produce other fruit, other disciples. You know, I really believe that uh, discipleship is a multiplication movement that is going to hit the planet in these next few years. And we are going to see nations transformed. And people are going to be discipled in the most unusual environments. You know, legislation may restrict the activities of the church, but you can't shut down God. And you can never shut down a disciple because on the inside, disciples have realized that they have been forgiven and, and they, are, they have a destiny of, in God and they are learning to live not as immature believers but as new creations. And the old things have passed away. You know, the old habits, the old limitations. This is the God that we serve. I tell you what, if you are a wholehearted disciple that is following Jesus and you're living out of a radical abandon, your past will fall away. A lot of people think, I can't move forward because this happened. That is a lie. That is a lie. Jesus has a future for you. He has a future for your friends, 
He has a future for your family, even those that are totally in a dark space. God can do it. This is what you do. Love them and reach forward to your destiny. Love them, but don't let your emotions go there. Let your compassion go there, but let your heart follow Christ to your destiny. They are learning to live the life of the Spirit. You know, I want to say this this morning, we're all learning. What a beautiful place to learn in an environment like this. You know, I have been in the school of the Spirit for 40 years and I've never learned so much as I've learned this year. Because, you see, being confident of this thing, he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what anybody else says. Do you know what? Jesus had his critics. He died a criminal's death. doesn't matter what the devil does. doesn't matter what people say. In fact, the scripture says, beware when all men speak well of you. If everybody speaks speaking well of you you better lift your game amen i'm not talking about being silly i'm talking about following christ being christ being a powerful disciple of the lord jesus christ you know it's remarkable so you see in church and in christianity we have heaps and heaps of believers jesus literally left tens probably hundreds of thousands but there were three that were very close, that there were 12 in the next group and there were 120 in the next group. So maybe 120 real disciples changed the world. It became a multiplication movement. I wonder what God is going to do in the future. You know, this morning, I just really wanted, I, I, I just believe this is such a key message that needs to be, listened to and revisited, particularly for, for members of our church, because this church is like the seedbed that I was talking about. And when people get planted in that seedbed, if they allow themselves to be discipled, if they really follow with their heart, God will heal them. God will restore them. God will make them. God will show them their gifting. God will release to them their divine calling. God will lead them. What an amazing environment. Next week I want to come back and I, talk, I want to talk about the next level. The next level of believers in the church. Where do I start this morning? Where do I start? Well, it's this simple. God is calling you. You know, and even as I'm speaking, you may feel that sense of destiny, knowing that there must be a greater reason that I'm on this planet. Well, I want to say this to you. Yes, there is. And God wants you to come to him. He's saying to you this morning, wherever you are, maybe there's been people who have been listening to these, uh, these uh, um, videos for six months or more. God is saying to you, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God wants to rebuild your life. He wants to restore you. Don't live on the outside of what God wants for you. Don't settle for being an ordinary believer. Oh, well, I'm just an ordinary person. Well, I am too. But do you know what? God's calling me higher and he's calling you higher. And the process of discipleship 
is going to bring you to that next level. I tell you what, this message is going to go on. And, you know, this is something that is so part of what uh, we're doing in this church because God wants to show you what is possible if you'll believe, if you'll open your heart, if you'll follow him. I think it's amazing. God is going to bring a transformation in the nations. You know, we see what's going wrong out there. It's crazy. But one life will make a difference. One life, one leader, one housewife, one man, one woman, one child who says in their heart, Jesus, I am going to truly follow you all the days of my life. If one man or woman says that, then something's going to change. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants you to bear the fruit of discipleship, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. But he also wants you to bear the fruit of maybe three people, three other disciples, maybe 12, maybe 500. Wow. I tell you what, heaven would have been rejoicing when Reinhard Bonnke entered in who had led over 50 million people to Christ in his lifetime. You won't hear that on the ABC or CNN, but you will hear it here because the spirit of truth is here. This morning, I just want to invite you and encourage you just to open the doors of your life just the way that I did over 40 years ago and the way that many people in this building have done and in the weeks and months to come, many, many people are going to come to Christ in our nation. If you would like to do that and make that decision today, then we're going to start by just praying this prayer together. So would you pray after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner and I ask you for your forgiveness. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you have raised him from the dead to life. And he is seated in the heavens. This morning, I am making a quality decision to trust you as my saviour and to follow you, Jesus, as Lord from this day forward. Lord Jesus, guide my life. Help me to do your will. Help me to leave my past in the past. Everything that holds me back, help me to leave it in the past as I pursue destiny. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been great having you with us. There is something that you can really do apart from praying this very powerful prayer is you can get in contact with us through our website and uh, there'll be someone here at the church who is able to help you make the next step in really learning to follow Jesus and becoming a true disciple. God bless you. Have a wonderful week and you become part of God's master plan for the transformation of nations. Amen.